everyone. Welcome to episode 108 of Positive Regression, a motorsports analytics podcast. I'm Alan Cavano, joined as always by David Smith. On this episode, a look at the driver everyone is talking about, Kyle Larson. But only we'll do it the positive regression way, including any potential weaknesses to the driver of the number five. That plus our Pocono doubleheader preview. But first, as always, we're starting off with a deep dive this week, David, into the Stavola brothers. Yes, the Stavola brothers. Car owners, the Stavola brothers are recognizable names for any 80s and 90s NASCAR fans. In just more than 500 starts, they ran the number eight for episode 108 a vast majority of the time. They had big names in their cars like Bobby Allison, smaller names like Rick Wilson, But David, as 90s kids, I remember them for being Jeff Burton's entry into Cup in 1994 with a wonderful paint scheme sponsored by Rebestus Brakes, cool colors, cool logo, all that stuff. Uh, David, I know you'll go into some of the detail, but as much as I know about the racing side of Stavola Brothers, I actually don't know who the Stavola Brothers are. How many of them there are? You know, are they like the Wood Brothers? You know, are there a ton of them? Are there only two? Or uh, so I'll let you fill in those blanks. But I thought this was a very appropriate uh, start to our episode. Yeah, well, there there are there are the two. Um, <laughs> it, so so it is that. You know, it's interesting. This looking back at, at how um, at how they achieved results. In this era of NASCAR, where it was really starting to grow, I mean, big sponsors were coming in at this point. It's wrong to call Stavola Brothers Racing a small budget team because they had a little bit of money. They didn't have a lot of money though, and while they had some some bigger sponsors, I mean, Miller, you mentioned Ray Bestis, both of those are iconic racing sponsors, if, if you ask me. They also had Snickers. Uh, I mean, yeah, r- look at look at the list. It's a, it's a pretty entertaining list. But how they operated the team is interesting to me because it, it is very much um, not thrifty. I don't want to say thrifty, but shrewd in driver selection because where small budget teams, mid-budget teams get into trouble is driver selection. Of course, you want a top driver right? That's, that helps a lot, but top drivers receive top pay. And if you are unable to pay that, uh, paying a driver too much or beyond your means, that can really sink your program. And the fact that the Stavolas approach this intelligently, consider who they had. You mentioned some of the names. It was really salad days or golden age (laughs) is the general theme of this team. They started out with a 20 year old Bobby Hillen Jr., as the team's first full-time driver, two years later, they added Bobby Allison. But we should say that was a 48-year-old Bobby Allison. Wow. Big big signing. I'm not, I'm not going to knock it. Big signing. And he won them a few races. He attracted sponsors, Miller being one of them. It increased the team's lot in the sport uh, a little bit. Uh, in 1989, they plucked Dick Trickle, one of the great all-time short track racers, Uh, and put him into their car. Uh, I love the creativity in that selection. They signed Sterling Marlin for the 1993 season after Marlin found himself bounced from his junior Johnson ride. So it was something of a flyer, a really smart signing there. They missed the Marlin breakout by one year, though. That began in 94 with Morgan McClure Motorsports. Uh, But they replaced Marlin, as you said, with the rookie Jeff Burton for the 94 and 95 seasons. Alan, 
the only driver that they employed at length during that driver's prime years was Hut Strickland. <laughs> and he was available to them during his prime years, largely because he was Hut Strickland. And, <laughs> and so that yeah. means that there were, there were 15, uh, 15 years the Stavolas competed in the Cup Series, and I think pretty well. They did so uniquely, never really having a fully realized driver in the race car. They finished 15th or better in the standings six times with with one of their entries. Uh, with Trickle and Burton, they captured two rookies of the year uh, in a time when that was a thing. So all in, no, they didn't have the big budget to compete with the, uh, well, the Richard Childress Racings of the world. Hendrick was coming up then, uh, and Roush Racing certainly was coming to its own. They couldn't compete with them. But I think all things considered, uh, a really impressive effort given what they had at their disposal and the drivers that they could affordably hire. That that Hutch Strickland reference, Circuit City, another uh, you know bygone era of uh, big box stores. Uh, Hutch Strickland and the Circuit City cars, one I certainly remember. Episode 108 of Positive Regression, the Stavola Brothers Racing Edition, if you will. At least a deep dive into them and everything they brought to 80s and 90s NASCAR. A good look back. Always fun to start off like that. When your business is starting its championship run, nothing matters more than finding and hiring the best team. With Indeed, you have the power to build a dynasty by hiring more MVPs faster. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, David, let's get the episode started because we are going to talk about the hottest driver in Cup right now, maybe the hottest driver in America. Kyle Larson dominating the Cup Series, story of the year so far, but a lot of people will talk about Kyle Larson. They are. We want to look at how he's doing it, where he has improved as a driver, how his crew chief is doing and contributing to all this. And most importantly, David, I'm going to ask you, we'll get down to it, if he can be beaten. So let's start where he's doing now, though, at the at the top of the field. We know the finishes are there, the wins, the speed, all that stuff. Kyle Larson, the driver, from a stats perspective, what is he doing that you would call elite right now? Well, he ranks first in production and equal equipment rating. That's a big one. Uh, he has the fastest car in the series right now. That's another big one. And outside of those two obvious uh, designations, he is a top three passer in terms of surplus passing value across all tracks on non-drafting ovals specifically, on 750 horsepower tracks specifically, and on 550 horsepower tracks specifically. Top three in each of those categories. Hmm. In terms of overall retention 
only Eric Almarola fares better on restarts right now. And if you want to make an argument that Larson is restarting more frequently at the front of the field, and thus that's a more substantial number, have at it. Uh, Larson ranks fifth in preferred groove retention, eighth in non-preferred groove retention. Uh, The reason his overall rate is higher than the rates for the two individual grooves is because most drivers have one groove that isn't faring well. So in his case, I know he's capable of the odd highlight, but he's really killing with consistency when it comes to restarts right now and, and having having a lot of success with it. Uh, he's a top three restarter at Choose Rule Racetracks. His selection is good. Of course, he's leading a lot, but everyone gets to pick now. Over 60% of his restarts have come from the preferred groove. So good on the five team. Larson, his spotter, Tyler Mon, crew chief, Cliff Daniels. They are making good decisions, putting themselves in uh, correct situations. As we discussed on last week's bonus episode, uh, that is that is key. You can, you can choose correctly, but you then have to follow it up with a fully executed restart. And Kyle Larson is doing that. All right. My takeaway from that quick assessment is that it's one thing to drive away when you have all that speed, but getting there takes a hell of a lot of talent. That's what Kyle Larson is showing us early on in this uh, in this season. David, is any of us surprising to you? Because for years we have talked about Kyle Larson as uh, th- this all-world talent, which he is. I remember talking about him and his stats and at the 42 car, and we saw it last year. When you took Kyle Larson away from the 42 car, it was the only thing that car had, right? That car and the team had in terms of performance. It was uh, it was a different team without that driver. Any production that team had was between the hands of, of Kyle Larson gripping the wheel. But you mentioned his peer score, how he's leading the league, the series in peer. David, your projection for him and what he's doing now, he's, he's doubling what you projected for him. So yeah. by that metric, are you surprised at how well Kyle Larson is doing? Yeah, a little bit. And not not surprised that he's a good driver, but you're right about the projection. Uh, it was 2.012 specifically, and that was the 10th best projection coming into this season. It's currently at a 4.529. It ranks Ooh. first. Uh, historically, his career P-ROA, and that is his production rating over average age, it's not out of this world or, or it wasn't coming into this season. It was above average, but it wasn't anything earth shattering like we saw with Jimmy Johnson or we're seeing right now with Kyle Busch or maybe even Joey Logano. It should be said though, that he did run four races last year and across those four races for Chip Ganassi racing. And mind you, this is an incredibly small sample size in which he was getting decent results uh, from a, a relatively slow car at the time. It ranked 15th in central mm. speed. His peer was 3.625. That would have sufficed as the best rating of his career if it sustained until this season. Uh, So perhaps that very early, very small sample size rating had a little bit more meaning than we originally thought. Uh, The leap that we are seeing now could have happened last year, not to the extent that he would have won this many races, but a nice production rating for, we'll say, a a B or C level car, certainly. But the biggest why of all of this 
is the speed. I've said on this podcast before that speed masks deficiencies. Well, the inverse of that is also true. A lack of speed can mask a lot of technical brilliance. And Larson has always been this guy. He's been the elite passer and the good restarter. Between 2014 and 2019, he ranked fourth or better in surplus passing value in every season but one. He ranked sixth or better in restart retention, and that's overall, in every year but one. His car speed for each individual season between 2014 and 2019 ranked 12th, 15th, 12th, 3rd, 7th, and 6th. He's never had a car like (laughs) the one that he has this year. I know that he has kind of gone above and beyond to be complimentary about that one year at Chip Ganassi Racing where things were going right. But on paper, there's no comparison. It's a car and a team allowing his strengths to finally manifest in tangible results. That is what we are witnessing. All right, I'm going to weave this into uh, a conversation about his crew chief, Cliff Daniels. But that's a new pair this year, David. And I was one of the voices just, you know, whenever we preview all this stuff, like how it'll take a little while for this pair to come together and have success, right? I mean, was that just shallow thinking on my part? Is there anything to uh, that that surprises you even more that this is being done with a new crew chief driver pairing? Or was I just not thinking straight? I would argue that it did take a little while because there it was it was disjointed at the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. Like the, the like now looking back now knowing how good Kyle Larson is at Homestead, it's incomprehensible that he didn't win Homestead. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because and because he was fighting a handling balance all day long. Cliff Daniels made some early strategy calls that were kind of basic. Uh he's improved. We'll talk about that here in a second, but I think they did have a few stumbling blocks that they did overcome. They just overcame them quickly. And now it's to the point where they are competing at tracks where Hendrick Motorsports is especially well suited. And Larson, you know, credit where it's due. He is the passer. He is the restarter. He used to be a rampant crasher. He crashed a lot. This year, he's only crashing once every four races. So he's he's cut that number down quite a bit. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's making a lot of sense. You know, for Daniel specifically, let's let's talk speed and then let's talk strategy, right? Because the speed was something when he took over uh, the 48 team for Kevin Mendering, the, the biggest change when he was overseeing Jimmy Johnson's second to last year, the second half of that year was the speed. They, they increased in speed. And Jimmy Johnson told me that he he felt it came down to communication that Daniel sort of forced Jimmy to to speak a little bit about it. He called Cliff communicative and that's what Cliff Daniels wanted from his driver. He wanted all the feedback that you can possibly give. And it sounds as if he's doing the same thing with Larson and it's paying off pretty well. Um and that blends into strategy, not just speed. Cliff Daniels is retaining Larson's running position right now on 81% of green flag pit cycles when relinquishing a top five spot. 
That is the second highest rate among all crew chiefs uh, that have that are doing that frequently. And it's a tremendous improvement over what Daniels was able to do for Jimmy Johnson in that category last season. His rate was 22%. That's a big jump. Whoa. So a lot has changed. Uh, the, the pit crew is faster. Larson seems to be better at getting on and off pit road than Johnson was. And Daniels talked about this after the Coke 600 win. He sits down with Larson and the team and they focus on pit entry. That's been a big focal point for their year for green flag pit cycles. It's gotten to a point that they're so good at it. Cliff Daniels says he actually looks forward to green flag pit cycles. He gets excited (laughs) because he now knows that that's a strength of theirs. But Daniels himself is calling races far better than he did in the year and a half that he was with Jimmy Johnson. The Las Vegas win very early in the season compared to where we are now, you know, give give credit to Larson. But the win was nailed down because of the timing of their green flag stops. Uh, Brad Keselowski was Larson's primary competition that day. Brad Keselowski had better stops. The pit crew was faster. Uh, Keselowski was faster getting on and off pit road. But because the two car with Keselowski pitted with the majority of the field, they weren't taking advantage of fast, clean laps Daniels did this. He kept Larson on the track longer to cut some fast laps when little traffic was around him, and that made a huge difference. So yes, they ended up technically losing the pit sequence, but the surrounding laps where Larson was just clicking off those fast times neutralized whatever gain Keselowski was able to make. And that is next level, fine detail stuff. It's not really something Daniels was doing in his first year and a half uh, working with Johnson. He has successfully weaponized Larson's speed to overcome the smallest disadvantages on pit road. It shows, and that's sort of removed uh, a moment of vulnerability in a race from Larson's repertoire. It just makes him more impenetrable. That that's a question I was thinking about. Building fast race cars for a crew chief does that mask any deficiency, or is that does that open up a playbook for a crew chief? If you're building the fastest car, are you suddenly more opportunity to be strategically better? If you get what I'm saying, does does that help you out on the strategy side? If you've got the fastest ass race car, it it does, but you still have to make that kind of of effort. You know, we talked about that, that that's a finer detail thing. Of course, you know, taking an aggressive approach to pit strategy, if, if you're running out front, you have a lot to lose. That's why the retention rates for top five cars are lower than they are as a whole. They are the, the positions on the racetrack that are targeted the most, but to run out front as frequently as they're doing, and having this kind of success rate, that's that's pretty special. What what Cliff Daniels has been able to do to to successfully build, uh, I, I would say, a, a solid position defender around Larson. I don't. It, it isn't the fastest pit crew, but it's a fast one. Uh, Larson is not the fastest at getting on and off pit road, but he's good enough and he does have strengths. He can rip off clean laps. Daniels has used that strength 
to play defense. So in a way, it's a bit aggressive using offense to play defense, but it's working to their advantage. Interesting. Now we've talked a lot about the strengths you just mentioned, both driver and crew chief. We have to look at the weaknesses, right? That's where we'll get interesting, the positive regression way. We have to look if there's any potential weaknesses. And David, just from my aspect, my perspective of this, I feel like I'm running out of things to nitpick with the five team, right? Uh, a few weeks go by. Well, eh, maybe the 750 speed isn't quite as good as obviously how good they are at the 550 speed. All right, I say that he goes out and wins Nashville and Sonoma, two 750 races. And I say, well, well uh, maybe, you know, those late race restarts can hurt him a little bit. Or he has trouble closing out races like we saw in Atlanta. Uh, he can't win the 500-mile race. Well, he goes out and wins the 600-mile race at Charlotte, right? I mean, he is, he is surviving and improving all these nitpicky scenarios I was coming up with in my head that I'm, I'm running out of things to look at. Are there any other weaknesses we should be looking at? Not inherently, no. Uh, but that's not some unprecedented thing. It, it was a year uh, or two years ago, we said the same thing about Martin Truex. The only weakness was a late race restart. And for both of them, Larson and Truex, they're good restarters. They're good short run drivers. The results might not show it, but it, it's not about a, a lack of a, a restart ability or um, a lack of clutchness, which is, you know, a thing that we don't talk about in this podcast, but it, it's about allowing the competition one more opportunity to take a whack. And with Kyle Larson's peer splits this season, this is evident. He, uh, he has a 6.176 peer in races that do not have a late race caution. His peer is 1.51 in races that have at least one late caution and thus mm. a restart. Uh, he ranks 15th in that category. Wow. Outside of that, I think it's fair to question the team's ability at playoff tracks. Uh, just because this year, Richmond was a clunker. So was Martinsville. Mm -hmm. uh, Larson finished second at Darlington, but he led zero laps in a race where Martin Truex kind of kind of killed it off early and often. And Phoenix, Larson's finishing record on the whole at Phoenix is actually pretty good, but the performance there uh, earlier this year was was a bit disjointed, uh, magnified by the fact that Joe Gibbs Racing and Penske appeared to have a better handle on the track. So. Certainly, is he impervious to everything? No, he's far from perfect. There's some work to be done. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think he's he's fine for the rest of the regular season. He's going to pad playoff points, but to uh, a point in the playoffs, JGR and Penske will will punch back, uh, and that'll be interesting to see how. Not only Larson, but Hendrick Motorsports and the, the Chevrolet teams that seem to have a, a pretty distinct advantage right now respond. Yeah, and that's why it only seems appropriate to look way too far into the future and think about the playoffs, David. And look, and is Kyle Larson the clear favorite for the title? Uh, I mean, six weeks ago, I would have said, no, it's Truex, right? And then weeks before that, I would have said, of course, it's Denny Hamlin, even though he hasn't won, right? I mean, so I have a hard time declaring, you know, I want to crown him, crown him, but uh, we'll see if Larson is who we thought he is. But Larson, can we say he's a clear title favorite yet? Is it he, because it comes down to winning in the playoffs. It comes down to a Phoenix performance in the playoffs. 
can you make that claim? I feel good about his ability to become one of the championship four. Okay. But that is where the clarity ends for me because in many respects, he's the Kevin Harvick analog from, from last year to this year. He's hmm. that guy. He has yeah. four wins. Only one of them is on a track with playoff representation. He, you know, as I said, he's padding the playoff points. That's terrific. He's at this point, he might sail to a regular season title, but which is crazy. He's made up, I think it was 134 points in the last on, five on races. Penny Hamlin. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. That's more than two races. Unbelievable what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it can continue. But as we said, the, the 750 playoff tracks have been an issue. And maybe it's just because the competition at all of those places is better. Uh, because at Martinsville and Phoenix, those are the swing tracks. And Penske and JGR laid claim to those two places earlier this year in a way that, yeah, Hendrick should be concerned. They they need to go to work on that. Those organizations, Penske and JGR, are disadvantaged in terms of arrow, I'll say, on the 550 tracks. But no one holds an advantage right now at Phoenix. And given Larson's dislike of Martinsville, he's been open about that in the past, yeah, he might win Kansas or Texas in that final round. But we assume the same for Kevin Harvick last year. Uh, and, and they didn't do much to improve upon previous Martinsville performances. And it bit that team in the ass. So, yeah, dominant dominant now. And, and it'll probably continue for the rest of the summer. But I think the designation of title favorite is still very much in the air, considering it's not as straightforward uh, of a designation as it perhaps it should be. Yeah. And even despite his recent success at 750 tracks, I look at motorsportsanalytics.com and I see the speed charts. He, he still lacks something of speed on those particular tracks. And that could very well matter at Phoenix. Yeah. I, I think right now the, the, the summer seems uh, spoken for and maybe that's not <laughs> the right word, but I feel like it's going to be a Hendrick summer. But come playoff time, it's going to be a different ball game. Uh, spoke with uh, with Travis Geisler this week. He had a Zoom availability, and I asked about whether whether the juice was worth the squeeze on trying to improve uh, on tracks that don't really matter for the playoffs in a car that's a lame duck. And uh, of course, uh, he he was gracious in response and, and saying that, look, anytime you can find speed, even if it's, you know, to make a wheelbarrow faster, you want to find speed. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think there's going to be, for, for some of these teams, there's going to come a point where they'll just say like, look, we're getting beat on the 550. It's not working for us this year. It really doesn't matter beyond this year. Let's gear towards the playoffs. And I wonder if that hasn't already happened. Uh, just understanding some of the frustration, um, Denny Hamlin was frustrated at Nashville and I thought his car was fine. Uh, Martin Truex was legitimately frustrated at Nashville after a disastrous everything for that team. So JGR Penske, you know, Stuart Haas, it made inroads at a 750 track, uh, last week at Nashville. I, I mean, can we say that maybe there, some of them are turning attention to playoff performance? I, I think maybe, yeah. 
All right, good stuff. And my, my final note for Larson is, you know, we see what he's doing and what he's done so far, especially in the point standings. I, David, I think back to the Bristol dirt race where he certainly would have been the favorite, right? He crashed out early. Nothing there. Didn't even start Talladega. Didn't make a lap. So that's more points there. You just wonder, he had some of those crazy things out and he's having a hell of a year, even better than probably with the numbers show right now. So we'll keep an eye on Kyle Larson. Good stuff from the five team and a hell of a run they're on right now. Next up, David, let's preview Pocono because we are getting a double dose of Pocono. The original seems doubleheader. Remember they tried this a few years ago and it is back. The Pocono doubleheader race on Saturday and Sunday. And David, you point out it is the first two mile or two mile track race of 2021. Uh, You brought it up with Travis Geisler this week, but how do you approach this? You know, if you are the team's in the playoffs, uh, this isn't a playoff-style track. It certainly seems there are opportunities, right, if you want to make the playoffs or need to make the playoffs. Maybe you throw all your eggs in a basket like this to try to get it. But who do you think is going to be good, do you, since we haven't been to a two-mile track yet? Do we look at speed charts? What are you looking at, David? Uh, recent history with the 550 package suggests that speed translates from one 550 track to another because in the four Pocono races utilizing this package, JGR was victorious in three and the fourth was won by Kevin Harvick last year. The common denominator, of course, was obvious speed across 550 tracks. So I'd say that that does cater to what Hendrick Motorsports and into a, a wider extent Chevrolet has going on right now. Uh, Hendrick has four cars that rank first, second, sixth, and ninth in average median lap on 550 tracks. But it's important to know that this isn't necessarily indicative of the potential result because the two Pocono races last season saw speed to finish correlation coefficients of positive 0.65 and positive 0.62. And that is middle ground Mm -hmm. compared to what we've seen at some other racetracks. There is a lot of positional interplay. The restarts at Pocono look wild. Uh, They do see sweeping positional changes, but also the differing strategies across long runs. Those really have the tendency to mix up the running order quite a bit. All right. You mentioned restarts. Again, visually, they always look cool. Maybe a little hyperbolic sometimes on the TV side, though, as to what is actually happening. But we may not see a lot, right? I mean, there are it's a short, two short races, not a ton of cautions uh, at Pocono. Uh, there's no practice, right? So maybe they get a competition caution. But how, how much do these restarts matter at a place like Pocono going into that big turn? Yeah, 13 restarts across the two Pocono races oh, wow. last year. Uh, so, But expect a sizable disparity when they do happen. Uh, you'd think with all the room for that inside line that it's advantageous to to be there, but it's not. <laughs> the, <laughs> the outside groove is the most dominant, uh, seeing at worst a difference in retention around 70 percentage points. It's the inside of the third row where retention just goes to die. Uh, (laughs) 18.5% retention across the last four races, all utilizing this rules package. Uh, Those occupants in that fifth place spot averaged a 2.44 position drop. That is one of the biggest 
drop rates for any restart position in NASCAR. Interesting. I wonder, I hope teams know that because David, even with the choose rule, we don't often see someone sacrificing a, a, a row spot, if you will, to stay up in the more advantageous side of, of things, right? Is it any possibility we could see that if people know what they're doing and know the numbers at Pocono? You know what I'm saying? Instead of pulling up on the inside of the third row, maybe line up fourth on the outside. Would anybody make that decision? Yeah. I was going to say, even if they're not even if they're not privy to the math, it really just takes one restart to understand how difficult some of these spots are. And in talking about fifth place specifically, it's less than 20% of the time. So it's one in every five that you actually keep a spot. Forget gaining positions. We're just talking about keeping the spot. It, it, it can just take one bad restart to flip it correctly. It could take one good outlier restart to double down, and that's a problem. So, yeah, yeah teams might not be privy to the math, but they might want to consider it. I hope I see it. I hope I see that the fifth car in line actually choose to line up on the outside. We'll see if it happens, though. Uh, those are restarts. Uh, in terms of this race, you know, it can be long green flag runs sometimes. Pit strategy comes into play, especially with uh, now that we're in that part of the season where you can kind of punt on stage points if you wanted to. But, David, again, these are two short races, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, the first stages are, are fairly short, and then you get longer second and final stages. So how do you think teams approach green flag pit cycles if, if races break that way? Yeah, so the the lap time at Pocono, uh, the lap time fall off on Warren Tires is close to zero. So Ooh. not only does short and long pitting work, uh, they're, they're both viable plans. They are also a necessity because being in traffic, being in that dirty air, it affects lap times at Pocono pretty significantly, not unlike last weekend at Nashville, uh, which we saw and, and learned about. But sort of what we talked about with Kyle Larson and Cliff Daniels utilizing fast, clean laps when the majority of the field is on pit road, uh, how that can help the cycle. That works at Pocono. It works so well that it actually cemented Denny Hamlin's victory there last year, uh, or the very least is how Hamlin safely defeated Kevin Harvick. Uh, looking specifically at the last green flag pit cycle of the Sunday race, the second of the doubleheader, Harvick pitted and blended back into traffic, and he was running 53-second laps consistently. Hamlin stayed out longer, and while he stayed out, he ran 52-second laps <laughs> consistently, and that was before pitting. So if tires don't matter much, a delta is a delta. Why pit if you have clean air and very little traffic in front of you, by all means, take advantage of that. Uh, they they didn't waste that. They took advantage. They waited to pit, and they won the race. Good stuff. All right, so strategy can come into play, obviously. Uh, so let's get to our win picks. We saw you know the dominant cars of last year, David, dominated Pocono last year. So is it naive of me to just say, at some point this weekend, Kyle Larson is going to win at Pocono? Because no. that's what I'm going with. Yep, yep, that's it. <laughs> Kyle Larson. I I, yeah. I, I say yeah. sweep the weekend, actually. Wow. Yeah. What a run that would be. Yeah. Well, you got to have one one stomping and one show. I, I think that's okay. fair, right? Because if because there's an inversion. So he'll if he wins the first race, starts uh, deeper in the field, second race, he'll pass just 
fine. Uh, the, the, the speed's there. Yeah. I, I mean, right now we're talking about, uh, you know, the rest of the, uh, the Olympic 100 meter field is trying to catch Usain Bolt at this point, <laughs> you just need him to fall. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's what we keep talking about. The only thing to, the only way to catch him is to neuter that speed with something of a late race reset. So uh, not not banking on it. So, all right, we're both in agreement. Kyle Larson wins at some point this weekend. How about contrarian performers? I'll let you go first. In either race, who may outdo themselves, who may uh, shine or or show themselves as something we're not expecting? What do you think? Yeah, last week uh, for NBC Sports, I wrote an article about uh, the most improved drivers and teams uh, this year from where they were last year. And I highlighted the number 17 Roush Fenway team of Chris Busher and Luke Lambert, year number two for that pairing. Uh, they have jumped up the speed rankings this year from 24th to 17th. Wow. That's a, that's a, that's a significant jump. And they rank 14th specifically on 550 tracks. That is a better ranking right now than the Team Penske car of Joey Logano and the Joe Gibbs racing car of Christopher Bell. Uh, 550 is a focus of Roush Fenway that is confirmed <laughs> that 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 was that there was a method behind that madness. The team had uh, a disastrous outing last week in Nashville. Chris Busher's team did. Um, if they nail the setup going into the Pocono race weekend, and it's two races that will allow you to make up ground because they are still in the thick of this uh, playoff battle. Yeah, a good thing. Maybe many are overlooking. If you hit it, that's double, right? If you don't, that that's two opportunities to really dig yourself a hole this weekend. So Chris Busher for you. Uh, David, I'm going to kind of ride a hot hand here. I'm going to say Ross Chastain. Uh, if you believe in momentum, he's got it. He's one of the best passers this year on 550 tracks. I'd love it if he had a little more 550 speed because speed kind of rules all. <laughs> but David, I'm taking the good juju and I'm just going with the 42 car. I like what he did last week and uh, he's just kind of on a run. And I'm just maybe I'm hope I'm just hoping they continue to uh, apply what they've learned and maybe it manifests itself to a good run this weekend at some point. The 42 car, David. Top passer on 550 horsepower track. There you go. Ross just in. Yeah. All right. So if you can get a. Well, I mean, that's not always relative to his speed, but so wherever he is, he's doing it well. So maybe he can start passing up there in the top 10 a little more and uh, get me a good finish this weekend. What do you think? Uh, it's entirely possible. I mean, right, I, I thought that the, what Phil Surgeon was able to do last week with Chastain pitting about 10 laps later than the majority of the field, that it was, it was smart. It paid off. I, I mean, who could have guessed Nashville was going to end with a fuel mileage run, but... <laughs> It did, and and Pocono very much is a uh, a fuel mileage track. You're going to be looking to conserve at some point over the two day period, uh, and 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 we know that this team is clearly able to strategize for that around that. Um, yeah, for I mean, at least once in two races, I feel pretty good about the prospect of Ross Chastain having a good day. All right, good stuff. Another good episode of Positive Regression. 
We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Luminary, TuneIn, and YouTube. We're available no matter your device. Our entire catalog of episodes is available for free at posregpod.com. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or review. That stuff helps in spreading the word. We always notice it is so appreciated. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Uh, you know that. Reach out on Twitter at posregpod, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. You remember, we just did two episodes dedicated to your questions because they're so smart and so good. David, you're always working hard. What do you got this week? I'll be active this week on NBC Sports, uh, including a doubleheader preview of Pocono. If you are not receiving my articles directly in your email inbox, then uh, what are you waiting for? Uh, just send an email yeah. to motorsportsanalytics at gmail. And I will make sure you receive all my articles, after which you won't have to click a thing again. Boom, nice and easy. All right, for me, just uh, follow me on social media, if you don't mind. Alan Kavana on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. Got a lot going on with Speed Sport. We like to preview the week each Thursday. So after you listen to this episode, check out my feed and make sure you watch the quick hits. We'll get you prepared for the weekend of racing across the country, not just NASCAR. And then every Tuesday, we follow it up with a review of what everything that happened with our gas and go. Make sure you set that lineup, NASCAR.com, Fantasy Live. Myself and Amy Long will prepare you for the best strategy. David, we're deep into the season. The starts are running thin for guys like Kyle Larson. You got to dig deep. You got to find some value with your fantasy team. We will make sure and help you do that. So follow along on there as well. As always, thank you so much for listening to Positive Progression. This is episode 108. He's David Smith. I'm Alan Gavana. Have a great weekend, everybody. Fifteen minutes could save you fifteen percent or more. Wait a minute! I've heard that before. That's the note Jeremy wrote to me in my yearbook in the sixth grade. How'd you even know that? Because it's from Geico. Yeah. Yeah. Wait. Here it is. Dear Luke, have a great summer. P.S. Fifteen minutes could save you fifteen percent or more. Love, Jeremy. Geico's had this tagline for years because we help save people money. So wait, you're saying Jeremy copied you? <laughs> yeah, that actually does sound like something the J-Man would do. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.